Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And we are here in studio in New York City. I got a co host here, Chuck. Hey. <laughs> sorry, you're not, happened, just, hey. you're not just a co host. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I appreciate that, Neil. Good. I, I kind of think of myself as your favorite co host. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we do on Star Talk? I always have a comedic co host, and we talk about the universe and all the ways that it impacts your life. And with folks like Chuck in the room, you're probably going to smile, at least smile. And if you're not rib split by the end, uh, we're switching them out next time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if, if you haven't peed your pants, I get fired, basically. And I will commit Harry Carey. So, uh, so today we have one of our uh, Star Talk After Hours sessions. Yeah. Uh, it's Cosmic Queries. And we're going to spend this whole session just with you culling questions drawn from the internet. That's correct. And all of our internet presence, which is why and varied we got twitter and facebook and google plus so we, we get the stuff is where it needs to be that's right and we found the ones related to the intersection the collision the blending of art and science yes and two great tastes that taste great together <laughs> they're like the reese's cup of the universe art and science <laughs> you got science in my art you got, got art in my science <laughs> I remember that stupid commercial. <laughs> so I happen to like Reese's Cups, but mm -hmm. anyway, but I'm one of the last people not allergic to peanut butter, right? Who's left? It's so funny that it's true. I never it, back in I, our day. I remember growing up, nobody was allergic to anything. Anything, okay? Right. Now I have a son. He's allergic to peanuts, and to the point, Neil, that I'm such an idiot that I didn't believe the doctors who told me that my son was allergic to peanuts because I forgot that there's another genetic code that he shares not just my strong stock I mean, you didn't just birth him out of your rib like like an amoeba right <laughs> exactly just, but anyway. amoeba walks around and say hey I, I want another one of myself right so of course you know what I did I took a little piece of little teeny bit of peanut butter you experimented and on your I son experimented. I was like yeah I bet you this kid isn't all that he's my kid yeah, he's, he's not my kid. He he's not a wimp butter. right so I took a little peanut butter I put the tip on my finger I put it in his mouth and my son went into anaphylactic shock <laughs> I'm not joking Damn. either I almost killed my son <laughs> so that's but, the, but it was for the sake of science it was for the sake of science <laughs> okay. son you did not die in vain <laughs> so what do you got for me oh man let's get right into this All right. uh coming from uh, google plus this is marcos d831 <laughs> Marcos D8. That's his code name. That's apparently. his code name. You All know. right. What? So, uh, what do you think of computer-generated art? Examples: genetic algorithm-based images, music, etc. Yeah, I, I'm cool with it. Yeah, really, really. In fact, when it first came out, it was striking, you know, because it was different and it had a different kind of sound. But personally, mm -hmm. I think that the computer doesn't yet know how to feel emotion yes what is art without, without emotion? emotion that's my line may i say that cleanly please i'm sorry what is art without emotion okay now you can butt in uh yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so so i mean think about it 
you know, I love me some Escher, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, the first MC. <laughs> MC Escher. MC Escher? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I'm familiar with MC Escher. You didn't hear him at the club the other night? Yeah. <laughs> so so the artist MC Escher, his drawings are like perfect illustrations of geometric forms, basically. Okay. And so they're fun to look at. They're fun to get lost in. But at the end of the day, you don't take emotional ownership of it. Right. And I think the greatest art allows you to walk up to it and say, that means something to me, regardless of what the artist thought or felt. Mm -hmm. And then it's a communion between you and the creative energies of the artist. If it's a computer just punching out notes right. according to some algorithm, I don't know that it can reach those same heights. But now with so, so maybe we need a computer <laughs> that's like can cop an attitude. That's what I was getting. And then if it, it composes music while it's under a disturbed mental states. You need a computer that can have a broken heart. That's a, <laughs> you need a computer to get dumped by a girl. A computer that uh, that means a computer's a guy. Excuse me. Don't you know that all computers that announce the end of the world are female? Well, wouldn't they though? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> there is two minutes left before self-destruction. That's true. Yeah. It's not like, yo, get the hell out of there. And see, that's why they don't make it a man's voice, because they would actually add some urgency to it. You know what I mean? Self-destruct in 10 seconds. Right. Yeah, the world will end. What they should have is a brother, a real brother, just like, yo, man, you're going to die. <laughs> man, get the hell out of here. What's your problem? <laughs> Are you crazy? You still here? <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll work. That'll, that'll, work. that'll be the, bro the the brother computer, the right? Brother there. computer. <laughs> oh damn, man, you dead. Okay. So I think for if a computer were to compose the blues, it would need to know sadness, right? And I'd simp I I just don't know how that. Maybe that day will come. You can program that in, but right now, no. So yes, I, I I'm happy to call it art, but it's not the highest levels of art that members of our own species have achieved so computers can make art it's just art that sucks yeah okay exactly i'll, I'll accept that i'll accept that <laughs> all right well, okay yeah. let's move on oh by the way these local there's like uh, startalkradio.net and we tweet at startalk radio mm -hmm. and so uh with our webs our uh, Facebook, just just find us. We're Star Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. It'd be easy to find. Absolutely. Okay, what else you got? Sounds good, man. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> this is from uh, Nathan uh, Giardina, which is uh, what, if any, influence that means in little garden. I yeah, bet. I think Giardina. Giardina. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what, if any, influence did art have on your personal desire to be an astrophysicist? What are your favorite current artists that explore science in their art? Ooh. So those are two, you know. Yeah, those are two questions. I mean, we're, uh, we're short on time this segment. Let me take the first one, which okay. was. Uh, what, if any, influence did art have on your personal desire to be an astrophysicist? That it had no effect on my desire to be an astrophysicist, but it enhances my capacity to appreciate all the splendor and beauty of the images that derive from it. Wow. If you look at the portfolio of images from the Hubble telescope, mm -hmm. I mean, if you you feel it all the way. And I look at that, those images not solely as a scientist, but as one who is not an artist myself, but one who appreciates the art of the cosmos. We'll come back in just a moment to Star Talk Radio. The theme, art and science. Is it a collision or is it a blend? See you in a moment. 
Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I'm your personal astrophysicist. Mm. By night. But by day, I serve as the director <laughs> of the Hayden Planetarium here in New York City, which is a part of the American Museum of Natural History. Known to some of you for its dinosaur bones, but we also present the universe. And I got in the studio... Chuck Nice. I'm your private dancer by night. <laughs> no, not, no, not, don't, you're telling me that? No. So, Chuck, so, uh, Chuck, you tweet. Yes, I do. Twitter dude. Uh, a Chuck Nice comic. At Chuck Nice comic. Yeah, That's nice, correct. nice, nice. And I'd like the daily dose. You know, of just humorous observations of the natural world. Yes. That you provide. Yes. Sometimes humorous, sometimes disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I want you to bring some of that to this. We've, you're reading questions that we have called from our various portals on the internet, the various StarTalk radio portals. And the theme is art and science. That's right. The merging, the cross-pollination, the collision. What is it? And I'm, uh, And I think a lot about this topic. And I was overjoyed when my producers told me that we were going to spend some time on this. Cool. And I haven't seen these questions in advance because they're your choices that That's came right. out of the out of the compilation. And before the break, there was a two part question. And what was the second part to that? And remind uh, me who asked it. Uh, Nathan Giardina, who uh, says Giardina, Giardina, who says, uh, "What are your favorite current artists that explore science?" Through their art. Great question. Now, I don't claim artists, I don't claim to be name fluent among artists, mm -hmm. but I can just tell you the kinds of art that I've enjoyed. For example, the big uh, public sculptures that appear in front of buildings, you know, many mm -hmm. cities have a budget for that. Right. Those that tap the sky for their themes, I love them. Gotcha. I love they they want to invent a new kind of sundial or they their sort of constellation patterns in New York City, for example, in front of the Time Life building on Sixth Avenue across the street from. Give me a second. Time Life building, Sixth Avenue across the street from 30 Rock. From 30 Rock. Yes. Oh, he's nice. He yes. knows his geography. Look at that. It's his urban geography. Uh -huh. uh, there's a huge sculpture in front of that building and it's a big triangle. Yes, it is. It's a triangle. That's and people correct. eat hamburgers under that and have no clue what it is. It is a sun triangle. Do you know that on the first day of the principal seasonal points of the calendar, at 12 noon, the sun aligns with each of, with each of those legs of the triangle? I did not. So the, the more vertical leg of the triangle mm -hmm. on June 21st, first day of summer, right. 12 noon, sun time, it lines up with that leg. On the shallowest leg, it lines up there on December, December 21st. 21st. Right. On the middle leg, it lines up both on March 21st and September 21st. It is a sun tracking device. And and people just lose. It's pretty brilliant. I love it. I love it. And forgive me for not remembering that fellow's name. Right. But sculptors, that's they're artists, of course, who of course. who are inspired by the universe. I love them. I love it when when writers, that's a form of art, they think to cast a scientist as one of their characters instead of the cop, the lawyer, the doctor, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because there's other themes they can draw upon. Well, a lot of, yeah. I'm still waiting for the sitcom where there's a woman who's a 
entomologist who studies bugs, and she falls in love with an exterminator. That's funny. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so these are untapped themes, and I want I want science to show up in the everyday storytelling of novelists and poets and and all the people who who are responsible for bringing culture and the joys and the and the pains of culture into our daily lives. And do you know what the number one sitcom today is? I just learned this. I, I would I would guess since you're asking, yes, that it would be um, taking too long. I'm going to go with Laverne and Shirley <laughs> <laughs> in reruns. Yeah, that's the number one. <laughs> No, of course, it's no, the it's Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang, of yeah. course, of course. CBS is Big Bang. Yeah, and so no, it's not high art, but it's art. They're clever writers, clever. Yeah. They've got a, a good science advisor, and it's a science advisor being brought into the community of writers, who are artists in their own right, right, helping to tell very fun stories about how uh, they're caricatures, of course, but they're they're fun caricatures about. Uh, what it's like to just hang out with people who are scientifically fluent, right. scientifically literate. And so I like the writers who do this. I like the sculptors who do it. I like the anybody who has taken themes of the universe and blended it in with their art. You know what I'm less impressed by? People who look at a Hubble photo and say, I'm going to paint that. Okay. I don't need you to pack out the Hubble photo. Right. I already have the photo. I got the photo. However, take you, me to a new place. But would you not say that uh, it's possible to take you to that new place by giving you an interpretation of what they see when they look at that photo? Yeah, but the interpretations are just sort of color variants on what it is. Here's what you do. Take me to a vista that's inside the cloud looking back out. Take okay. me to the surface of... T- t- take me to... Okay, then I'll ask you this. What do you think, about, Jam- Pl- what do you think about James Cameron's... Uh, uh, Avatar, the movie. Now there was a. He took us to a different world. There you go. And uh, as they know, say in Texas, there, there you go. go. Uh, you know, he said we had different vegetation. We had different animal life. We had different. You know, he was completely informed by the vegetation on Earth and mm-hmm. by planets in orbit around stars. And he had this background foundation of scientific information. And he said, "Now I want to take it to another place." Now, when you say literally was, and figuratively, when you say he was informed by vegetation on Earth, do you? You mean that he was smoking weed when he came up with that Precisely. Stuff. <laughs> no, because uh, uh, on Earth, we have, you know, uh, plants and animals that have bioluminescence. Right. Well, he took that to an extreme. He on did. That, that was cool. He thought about it. Okay. He didn't just, he didn't just invent that out of, out of the ether. For everything he showed, there's some kind of physical, intellectual, artistic link. Back to what's go, what goes on here on Earth, except for the unobtainium. <laughs> unobtainium. <laughs> the stuff that made the clouds f- right. float. That he, he pulled that one out of where the sun don't shine. Nice. But everything else, sure. And, and nine foot tall blue people, I'm okay with that. That's kind of cool. Except they had the USB ponytail. You know, that one, with the, they just plug it in wherever they Whatever are. they want. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know Captain Kirk would have done very well on that planet. <laughs> He 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 gets his stuff wherever it is. That's right. He's got it. All right, let's move on to a Facebook. Wait, wait, just that would be Captain Kirk of the original Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek television series. Right. For those who were born after 1969. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. I forget. There's a lot of people who may not know about the original Star Trek, or they know the later ones, and the fact that the captain of the Star of of the USS Enterprise was a poon hound. (laughs) Intergalactic. Exactly. (laughs) All right. All right. What else you got? Here we go. Uh, Facebook, and this is uh, Heather Redding. Uh, 
Matt, wow. Mathfoil, math, math, uh, math That's it. Heather M. Okay. Heather M. Here you go, Heather. <laughs> what is your scientific reaction to Starry Night? Love it, or does it make your eyes burn? Do you mean Starry Night as painted by Vincent Van, Van, Van Gogh? Gogh? Van Gogh's okay. Starry Night. Uh, that is The Starry Night, painted in 1888 mm-hmm. by Vincent Van Gogh. And it is one of my favorite works of art of all time. Really? Yes. In fact, I have an oil reproduction of it in my office. Nice. It's actually the original, but don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> right okay. now, there. Right now, Keep there are there are a ton of people breaking into Neil's office right now. <laughs> actually, if you look at online on YouTube and type "cosmic office," there's a tour of my office, and it's it's in the background. I don't actually point to it or mention it, but it's there. It's there. So I have it there. It was the co- I chose it as the cover of my second book. That title of that book was "Universe Down to Earth." Gotcha. And so, no, it does not make my eyes bleed. It would if I were a scientific purist, not allowing anybody to interpret anything. But in there, no, the the moon is weird, all right? The moon doesn't look that sickle-shaped. No. And stars are not like that vibrato. No. And they're not that bright. No. I'm with you on that. However, I, I will allow that to be how the sky made him feel. Ah, so you're looking at this more as a representation of emotion exactly. than an actual depiction of the sky and or the cosmos. I think it was, uh, we only got a couple of seconds left here. I think it was the first picture work of art ever to be named for that which was in the background, not the foreground. Hmm. The foreground, there's a there's a cypress bush, there's a village, there's a church steeple. He didn't call it Sleepy Village. Right. He didn't call it Cypress Tree. He didn't call it Church Steeple. He called it Starry Night. The stuff in the backdrop that framed the village is the name and the subject of that painting. There you go, background dancers. Vincent Van Gogh is your man. We're coming back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This is Star Talk Radio, and we're back. This is the Cosmic Queries part of our show. I like to think of it as Star Talk After Hours. <laughs> Chuck, nice. I got you in studio. Thanks yes, for being here. Always a pleasure. And you're helping us go through some questions that it's, it's viewer mail. No, listener mail. Listener yes. mail. It's all about the the collision between art and science. And we ran out of time in that last segment, but I was on a roll. You were starry night. Uh, oh, man. Obsessed there, man. In a, in, a, in a good way. But that brings up a question for me personally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I heard that Vincent Van Gogh actually created more than one Starry Night. Yes, he did. And and just before the break, I was describing the most famous of them, which is in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City on West 53rd Street. Correct. Uh, by the way, just a couple of blocks from the Sun Triangle we, right. we described earlier in our conversation. But uh, yes, he actually has other paintings. He has many paintings that were of the night or in twilight that showed moon crescents and stars and this sort of thing. Another, he had two other starry night paintings. One of them was at a, at a cafe and it's a cafe scene. And you see it's a narrow, one of these narrow European streets mm -hmm. and there's a little cafe and you look down the street and there's a sky that reveals itself flanked by the silhouette of buildings to its left and right. right. And that is a kind of a, a funky looking version of well, what it looks it is a it is a recognizable constellation. That's my point. Wow. And so that unlike the famous Starry Night, where nothing matches anything, he has a real constellation there. And there's another one where he's on the water's edge, and you see a river. I forgot which river it is, but there you see, in fact, the Big Dipper. Not exactly a mapping of the real Big Dipper, but again, close representation a representation of the Big Dipper. So those are a little closer to a reality than the original one that's most famous. And of course, who's the artist who composed the song Starry Night? Starry, Starry Night. <laughs> What's the guy? Did McLean? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, I always confused him with the picture for the Detroit Tigers in 1967. Dennis McLean? <laughs> no, I don't know Dennis McLean. <laughs> I, Den I get him mixed up. Forgive me. Um, I'm not doing this from notes. Uh, but anyhow, so he, he was compelled to compose an entire song based on artwork, based on the universe. That's wow. awesome. And so talk about a collision, intersection, cross-pollination. You can't get more uh, incestuous than that. No, you can't. I mean, yeah. serious. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. It's Don, Don McLean. Don, right? thank you. Don McLean, of I, course. I, uh, I had no idea that uh, 
Starry Night was that far reaching in its influences. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was on a tour of the Museum of Modern Art, and they didn't know it was me, like because that I'm an astro dude. And right. it's oh, here's one he painted, and here's the location, and here is the period. On to the next painting. It's like no, no, excuse me. <laughs> get get your ass back here in front of this painting because I got more. Just 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 let me tell you. Let me school you on Starry Night. When you just hate to be the tour guide that gets Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> and this is Starry Night let's move on you know by the way I'm an idiot <laughs> alright uh, what else you got alright here we go uh, this is from uh, Don uh, Cancio mm-hmm. and I would definitely like to hear Neil's thoughts on the golden ratio and the role of mathematics in aesthetics in general. Thanks. That's an awesome question. Oh, my gosh. Right. So it has been suggested since antiquity that certain proportions are pleasing to the eye. Right. No matter what your upbringing is, perhaps no matter even, uh, no matter your upbringing within a culture and perhaps no matter even what culture you derive from. And one of them is the golden Golden ratio. ratio. Yeah. And I think it's one plus the square root of five over two. So some, uh, I'll I'll look it up over the break, Um, but I don't carry it in my head. But what, what it does is it tells you how wide something should be for how tall it is. Right. And uh, that's why certain paintings, certain pictures in their frame just feel a little awkward. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't feel pleasing, and you can't even put your finger on it. It's kind of an emotional uh, force operating on you, an intel- uh, a, a hidden intellectual force that's telling you, I like this picture better than that. And you might not even know why. I, I know why, because I'm looking at porn at that point. <laughs> For me personally, I'm just saying. So you have other ratios that apply to porn. <laughs> there's, there's the porn <laughs> ratio. <laughs> we got to check out that one. Oh, what, my what? God. <laughs> Where my mind's just went. Go ahead. So uh, I like geometry. Uh, geometry, uh, in fact, literally means earth measurement, uh, oh. geometry. Geometric. And uh, it was applied to measuring uh, distances and and uh, um, uh, uh, along Earth's surface, and Earth is curved. So you get some some interesting mathematical discussions when you bring mathematics to bear on, on Earth measurement. Mm-hmm. But um, math, I think, is overvalued as a force in art. Beca- okay. Because in math, there is no room for emotion. True. That just True. isn't. And so the question is, is there something that's mathematically pure that is also emotionally... Uh, rich or satisfying. And by the way, people have been thinking about this since forever. And it started with the music of the spheres. They saw planets in orbit around the sun. Well, that's a there's a rhythm to that and the different orbits of different times. Is there a ratio of those that means something mathematically that w- w- for out of which you can make music? Hmm. And it was imagined that music, you can make awesome music from the universe. And for all the music I've heard that came from the universe, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we got to take a break. We'll be back with Star Talk Cosmic Queries. back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your resident astrophysicist. And I'm with Chuck Nice. Yes. Chuck Nice comic. 
at Chuck Nice Comic on Twitter, please. Your Twitter handle. That's my Twitter handle. Get a handle on Chuck <laughs> Nice Comic. Uh, we left off with a question about the role of geometry and geometric shapes and forms right. as informing art, because you get geometry from math. So that's math informing art. art. And I think a lot of it is overrated in its role. Uh, there's that golden ratio. We looked it up over the break. It is one plus square root of five over two. So the right. ratio is one to that. Right. Right. And the ratio of one to that, if you did the math, it's about one to 1.6. So something would be of height one would be 1.6 wide. Right. A very pleasing. And that becomes a, a soothing, pleasing a soothing. visual f effect for some reason. <laughs> Even though you're looking at a block of cement <laughs> exactly it's but it's elegant but cement. it's an elegant block of cement yeah. so now what about uh, my man leonardo da vinci uh-huh and the vitruvian man oh the dude inside the circle the dude inside the circle and his arms and you know what yeah yeah that was really wishful thinking because he's because once again he was imagining that by the way there's sort of uh spiritual religious implications here that human being is in a, is a pinnacle of god's creation and right, that right. and if math is perfect and we are of god then we ought to be perfect at some level as well if okay. not our behavior certainly our biological form and so he imagined that the perfect human would have these proportions and you put the guy inside the circle and the center of the circle would exactly line up with the belly button mm -hmm. and the arms would then reach out and extend to the edges of the circle now it's true for most people the, your reach is approximately equal to your height okay but are you going to say that that is most pleasing because that is not true for most people in the mba and they're very highly paid people i happen to have very long arms compared with my height in fact they're a foot longer than my height really yeah which means i can punch you out so your wingspan is a foot longer it, than it, your it's, height? it's a foot there's 84 inch uh, 84 inch wingspan and i'm oh, you'd have been a great boxer so, so it's 10 inches long i'm uh, six two and my uh wingspan is 84 inches so it's 10 inches longer. Wow. Yeah, uh, 74 inches to 84 inches. Yeah, I, or I could hold your head while you swing under my <laughs> arm, you know, never reaching me. <laughs> um, yeah, the classic, yeah, just give that one up. Go right. home right after that. So I think, uh, plus there were these metrics of beauty that people had uh, presumed and established, the, the measures of Western beauty. You know, what is the width of the cheekbone to the height of the face and right. the nose to the mouth? Yes, you can measure anything. And you can say that certain measurements repeat Mm -hmm. That doesn't make them important geometric forms. It's just a, a geometric form that applies to that uh, to that standard of beauty, right? And so right. I, I'm not prepared to go and say, let's go look at geometric math to derive what is beautiful. What people are doing is finding who everybody says is beautiful, measuring and that. applying the geometry to that. Yeah, no, no. Then they measure it and say, here are the beautiful numbers. Right. I, I don't, okay. Uh, I'm fine with that. But what I find interesting, it has been said uh, that the most intriguing characters are not the ones who are most symmetric, but the ones that have a slight, slight imperfection. Slight imperfection. Yeah, like Meryl Streep. Yeah, or, uh, or Marilyn Monroe with the mole on like one the side. the mole on one side. Yeah, and Harrison Ford, who was clearly the standout in the uh, Star Wars series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His face is not symmetric. He has like a scar on one side of his face compared to the other. I have a scar on one side of my face, but n no one says that's beautiful, though. <laughs> 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 it applies to actors and not anybody else. So so you can measure this stuff. But in the end, I, I don't know that that's how I want to decide who's beautiful. I'd rather really just take a look. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you think about the ratios when it comes to uh, size and weight ratios? Like, for instance, uh, certain it's been, I don't know if it's proven, but asserted that certain hip 
to waste ratios, say fertility and causes a certain kind of desire in a man when he looks at a woman, breast to waist to butt ratio. It's a family show. Yeah. Actually, it's not. But go on. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know, so. Did you say breast to butt ratio? That's the first of those I've heard. What can I say? (laughs) That's just me personally. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, we got to check the check the journals on that one. <laughs> there, there may be no empirical medical evidence whatsoever about that one, but okay, you know. consider this: that any two numbers, any two measurements has a ratio. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and although I look through time and I see the depictions of women in art, them ratios are all over the place. You know, you're right. Those Rubenesque women, and and then you go to the nineteen. 19- 20s or, or the uh, the roaring 20s right. and flat-chested women yeah, were, exactly. was the thing, the flappers. That's right. That's right. You know, they were certainly not Rubenesque. And so I, I'm not here to say that math is defining what we should be, but n- nothing will stop you from making those measurements in the first place. Oh, I've already made my measurements. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And and uh, Chuck, when you come back, I want to spend a minute. Tell me about, you got some crazy show on, on uh, HGTV? On, H, on home and garden television. I, you know, I laugh every time I think about it. You're listening listening to Star Talk Radio. We'll be right back. This is Star Talk. We're in our last segment, Chuck. This went fast. It's, oh, my God. Uh, just flew by. Yeah, we're talking about the intersection, the blending, the cross-pollination, the collision of art and science, a subject about which I've thought quite a bit. And you got the questions from the internet. That's and correct. Uh, keep them coming. All right. So, you know, we don't have a lot of time left. Like you said, the show's kind of flown by. So, why don't we enter our lightning round? Oh, we don't. Oh, there's a lot left is what you're saying. Yeah, I got a I, lot left. Because I haven't seen these. You, you picked them. You found them. Yes. So, there's quite a few questions left. So, we're going to kind of breeze through them. Okay. Here. No. So, I'll, this is the lightning round. Yep. And I will sound bite the answers. Get through as many as we can. As many as we can. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Lee off of Facebook. Lee asks, are we born scientists and become artists? Or vice versa. Which comes first, chicken or the egg? Well, first of all, I have the answer to which came first, chicken or the egg. It's the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Laid by a bird that was not a chicken. Well, That okay. is the answer to that question. gone. Got it. Okay. Second. <laughs> so you thought you were slick slipping that in there. I did, but okay. it was good. Uh, personally, I could be biased, but I think all kids are born scientists and learn to do and appreciate art. Because what does a scientist do? They turn over rocks and pluck petals off of roses and mm-hmm. jump two feet into petals. And each of these is an experiment on the physical laws that operate around them. They do that without being told. But what happens when they get into the classroom, then they're said, well, here's the pasta and here's the glue. You're making a pasta collage, right? So the art projects are kind of installed there, but you send them out into the yard when they're not running and chasing each other, they're actually exploring nature. Right. So my opinion, based on my observation of children and just the human species, is that we're actually born artists, but we're, I'm sorry, we're born scientists, and then adults beat it out of them later. <laughs> and then and then we're taught how to then be creative. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what a, mm-hmm. All right, moving along. Here we go. Do- I'm sorry, that was, I can do it faster than that. that okay. I dragged on there. Go. Do Light you think artistic ability could ever be learned or created through artificial intelligence? So can a computer learn to be an artist? 
a true artist. I think that what it will have to do is be good enough to fool an expert, whether or not it has the right motive, the same motivation that an artist does. So I think the answer is yes. Okay. What are your thoughts on sacred geometry? Is there any art or design? This is from Randy Huff that does give healing properties. So there's the real caveat there. Uh, if you see some form or geometry that heals you, that surely lives in the realm of the placebo. It is an effect that we still don't understand, a medicinal effect where if, if you're given a pill that has no has no no med- medical effects on you, but we tell you that it does, and you then get healed, there's some percentage of people get healed. It is a not well understood phenomenon. If it is your God who you appeal to, or your belief in the power of the doctor, or whatever it is, and it works, it's the placebo. Gotcha. There you go. Okay. What else? So, <clears throat> I just... I, before, well, I love to say that. Placebo. Placebo. <laughs> One of those, the cool words. And that is a like cool word. Like polka dot. And, <laughs> <laughs> all right, go on. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from Barney Atkinson. And I just have to get to this question. If art influences science, how come the International Space Station is so ugly? <laughs> <laughs> it's because art does... <laughs> <laughs> it's because art does not influence science. Uh, art influences design of architecture and hardware, uh, but it does not influence science. So those were engineers that had an opportunity to make the baddest looking thing there ever was orbiting the earth and out came something that looked like some, you know, a rector set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a little disappointed now that you mention it, uh, but I, I ho- we want to bring in some des- art, art and designers for when we go to Mars, because I want that to be the badass looking thing that's ever come off the earth. Gotcha. Next. Here's a great question. Uh-huh. Was there ever, this is from uh, Cesar Avila, was there ever a painting or sculpture during the Renaissance or any other historical time that captured an accurate depiction of the cosmos at that time? Yes, there is Giotto's painting of the birth of Jesus a very famous painting in which he puts a comet. (gasps) We don't put comets to signify good things. The whole history of our, of civilization where people have looked up and seen a comet. If you look at how they reacted, they said, Oh, something bad is about to happen. And so he took a leap and said, well, the birth of Jesus is a good thing to Christians and a comet is just something in the sky. And that comet is likely Halley's comet that he had seen in the sky at the time that he painted it. Because if you date back the appearance of Halley's comet every 76 years, it lines up with when he made that painting. Wow. So that is real science in a real painting. Not only that, 1066, the Bayou Tapestry. There is uh, a dude pointing up at a comet. The comet came in 1066, and it coincided with William the Conqueror. Look at that. There you go. We, that's all we got. That's all the time we've got. Chuck, thanks for thanks for being on Star Talk yeah, Radio. Man, it's a pleasure. And we find you on HGTV, busting into people's homes, talking about them. Home strange home. I show up to white people's homes unannounced, and they say, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> then you know the world has changed if that's happened. Star Talk Radio is brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. I'm your host and personal astrophysicist. Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. <laughs>